Sometimes life is difficult and you just need a hand to lift you up. The Bible is full of those helping hands, but how do you access them? How do you apply them? Join our weekly conversation and think about the Bible like you never have before. Listen, watch, and interact with us at ChristianQuestions.com. You're listening to Christian Questions. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Dodinsky once said, Do not plant your dreams in the field of indecision where nothing ever grows but the weeds of what if. I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. I'm Jonathan. This podcast centers on godly principles, family values, and honest dialogue in a politically free zone. Folks, we thank you for joining us today. This is a contact-friendly format, and we welcome your thoughts by way of email, messaging us at ChristianQuestions.com, Facebook, and our website chat board. So, Jonathan, what's the topic for today? Well, Rick, our question is, do I seek God's protection or his permission? And our theme text is found in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Okay, so do I seek God's protection or his permission? How often do we as Christians look at our experiences, determine what God's will is for us, and then notice that it just happens to coincide with what we want? It is far too easy too easy to fall into the trap of looking for God's permission <clears throat> or to do or act or respond when we really should be looking for his uh, providential guidance. This is tricky. How do we tell the difference? How do we uncover what God would have for us do in contrast to what he often allows us to do? Now look, there's no easy answer here, as God does not set up flashing neon signs showing us the way. And no, by the way, he's not going to send you a tweet or send you an Instagram or message you on Facebook either. So folks, coming up in today's podcast, let's face it, we really aren't patient not at all. The world is accessible at the click of a button or the touch of a screen, all based on what I want, and we like it and want it that way. But the news flash is, following God's direction never has and never will work like that. So in our second and third segments, we're going to look at two dramatically opposite biblical examples, both having to do with self-preservation. One pursues his own madness and denies God's direction, and the other embraces God's way at potentially great cost. And look, let's face it. If you really want to be a real Christian, then you need to pretty much rethink every part of your life. In segments four and five, we get really practical and talk about concrete ways to manage our thoughts and emotions while attempting to wait for God's providence to reveal itself. This is where the old sink or swim principles really begin to unfold. Rick, people hearing this could be discouraged. They really shouldn't be because there is an answer. The key to following God's will is knowing what to look for and knowing where and how to find it. Okay, so again, the question, do I seek God's protection or his permission? Well, Rick, I want both. (laughs) Why, Why do I have to choose one or the other? Hey, I want God's protection, obviously. And I would like his permission uh, so that I know that I'm 
in line with him. Okay, and you know what? And we all want his protection and his permission. So why do we phrase the question that way? So let, let's clearly define the difference between seeking God's protection or asking for his permission. And when we say that, we're talking about which comes first. Okay, am I first seeking for his protection because of something, or am I asking his permission before I do something? Okay, oh, I like that. Okay. So let's define seeking God's protection. James 4, 13 to 15. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Yet, you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. Okay, so let's translate that. I will do what is in my mind because it is clear and good. And God, I know because what's in my mind is clear and good. I know God's going to come along with me. See, to me, that's seeking God's protection. Like, I'm making this decision, and God, yeah, he'll come along because I'm, I'm doing a good thing. So you're saying this is not seeking permission. Right. This is kind of using your own, own mode of thinking yes. without looking for God's. So in verse 15 of James chapter 4, it gives us seeking God's permission. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. Okay. So the translation is, I have in my mind what to do, and it's clear and good. If it's God's will for me, I will do it. But if it's not God's will for me, I'm going to change my direction. So that's seeking God's permission before I take the steps Whereas the other one is I'm taking the steps and saying, God, come along, come along, protect me as I go. So that's what we want to talk about. That's what we want to isolate here today uh, in, in this podcast. So with that as a basis, let's go to a, um, a soundbite from Mel Robbins. We actually relied on her, I think it was last week for some things. And this is from The Simple Hack to Make the Best Decision. And this is about the power of objectivity because we have to be objective in making our Christian decisions. So what I want to teach you is the power of objectivity. Researchers at the University of Waterloo and the University of Michigan have studied how people make decisions and they've discovered something really interesting. If your friend is facing a problem, when you have to make decisions on behalf of your friend, you tend to think from multiple perspectives, you think about multiple outcomes, and ultimately you make a much better decision. What they found in research, though, is if they put you in the exact same situation, facing the exact same thing that your friend is, you're not able to be so objective because you're emotional, and you don't make that great a decision. What's the conclusion? Well, when you make decisions for other people, you're great. When we make decisions for ourselves, decisions that can be emotional, we're not so good at it. That's where the power of objectivity comes in. It's the ability to make a decision from a third party's perspective. You know, Jonathan, I really like that. The, the ability to make a decision from a third party's perspective. If I'm helping you make a decision, oh, I'm going to have all kinds of wisdom for you. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, would, I would want that, actually. Right. But if it was me having to make that decision, I'm just going to go with what I think the flow is. You know, and, and, and we're all wired like that. So we have to You're be right. really careful. So it's the power of that third party. And in our case, it's the power of what is God's will. That, I think, is the third party, God's will for me in whatever it is I might be making decisions. So as we go through this, let's lay a little bit more groundwork here in this in this first segment. 
you know, how, how is it that we can get into such a difficult spot, you know, in terms of decision making? I think the reason is because we can easily misread and misapply scripture. And that happens in a lot of places uh, on, on a regular basis these days. Jesus made it pretty plain what the cost of walking in his footsteps was to look like. He told us about the cost. Luke 9.23 is a great example. And he was saying to them all, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. We've talked about this I don't know how many times. The idea of taking up your cross as a Christian in those times, was a horrid picture. Yes, it was a, a, a torturous death. That's right, right. what it was. <laughs> and, he, and, and we say it as though it's inspirational. But in those days, it was really a hard, hard thing. So he didn't mince words with his followers that it's going to cost you, and it's going it's to... Sacrifice, yes. Rick. Sacrifice. Yeah, and yeah. a lot of sacrifice, just like he did. Right, right. John fifteen eighteen to 20 kind of bears that out as well. If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you are of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not, not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, and they will also yours keep yours also. So the cost is high. The world hated me. It's going to hate you. You're not of the world. If you are, were of the world, everything would be great. But it's not going to be that way. The cost is high. The cost is complete. And the cost is ongoing. So Jesus didn't hide from us what being a Christian was going to be like. But you know what? It's not all just sacrifice. Jesus also made it pretty plain what, what the privilege of walking in his footsteps was going to look like. John fourteen twelve to 15. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do, because I go to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Ask me anything in my name and I will do it. I mean, that, that, that's like the, the greatest invitation ever. It's like the genie with the three wishes, but only this is bigger and better. Okay, so, you know, the privileges are high. The privileges are generous and the privileges are abundant. But the sacrifice is always also there. So we have to balance those things in deciding how it is that we follow through our lives and, and make our decisions in relation to God's will. So, Jonathan, each segment we're going to have a power of permission principle. Permission meaning the permission of God. So the power of permission principle for this introduction is what? All that we are called to is purely a gift from God. We therefore must conclude that walking where he gives us permission to go is our best life option. Walking where he gives us permission to go. So now the question is going to be, well, how are you going to figure that out? And that's really what we're going to begin to get to very, very soon. So right from the start, seeking God's protection makes me happier now, but his permission works best for eternity. What are some practical scriptural examples of running ahead of God's permission that we can learn from. 
We're podcasting live every Monday night from 8 to 9.30. You can talk to us direct through our chat at ChristianQuestions.com. We also welcome your comments or questions any day of the week. Just hit the Contact Us button. We're now out of the starting gate. Let's pick up the pace for tonight's topic. Many biblical stories show us the stark contrast between good and evil. The examples that we want to examine here are much more subtle in their lessons. Next, we have a powerful account of how easily we can go off the deep end and fool ourselves into abandoning God's permission. And this is something we have to be really, really careful of. So, Jonathan, in this segment, we're going to be going through the example of somebody who was pretty much given everything and really messed up. That's right. King Saul. Yeah. He he used to be humble, didn't he? Yes. (laughs) He humbly began his reign as the first king of Israel. Over time, he lost his way and disobeyed God's command to utterly destroy the Amalekites. God's protection was with him in battle, but he spared the Amalekite king, and he also kept many spoils of war, and now he was going to have to face the consequences. So... Here's what happens. Remember, Saul is the king. The people wanted a king, and they went to Samuel and said, we want a king like everybody else. Samuel goes to God and says, the people want a king. What do I do? God says to Samuel, okay, let the people have their king. Just tell them what's going to happen if they have a king. Tell them all the things are going to go wrong. Samuel goes back to the people. He tells them, they say, we want a king. God says, fine. Okay, they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting me. Let's let this happen. So Saul is the first king, and everybody's excited until they're not. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And then, so in 1 Samuel 15, 10 to 23, we're going to break this into a lot of pieces as we look at what happens to King Saul. And remember, this is in the context of trying to determine, am I looking for God's protection to, to carry along with me as I make my own choices, Or am I looking to follow his permission as I do what he shows me to do each step of the way? So Saul is a great example of what not to do. 1 Samuel 15, Jonathan, let's start with 10 through 12. Then the word of the Lord came to Samuel, saying, I regret that I have made Saul king, for he has turned his back from following me and has not carried out my commandments. And Samuel was distressed and cried out to the Lord all night. Samuel rose early in the morning to meet Saul, and it was told Samuel, saying, Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he set up a monument for himself, then turned and proceeded on down to Gilgal. You know, when somebody sets up a monument for themselves, it's never a good sign. (laughs) No, pride, uh, no, (laughs) especially when God gave him the victory over the enemy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why is he being honored? Exactly, exactly. And so this is, and God is, is warning Samuel ahead of time, what you're going to find you're not going to be happy with. I already know what's there and I'm not happy. So the first indicator of overriding God's permission. See, Saul did not stay within God's permission. He was running ahead of God, we will see, and seeking to bring God's protection along with him. Okay, not a good plan. The first indicator of his overriding God's permission is the victory, like you said, he made it about himself. He built a monument for himself and then proceeded to Gilgal. Okay, so we look at him and then we have to look at ourselves. So he, the victory was about Saul, not about God. What is our disconnect when we start to run ahead of God's permission? Well, Rick, claiming credit 
for that which was a gift of providence from God. Taking credit that isn't ours. You know, we have to be really careful of such things because that can really get us into a lot of trouble. And Rick, you were talking uh, last podcast about something very deep in your heart of your desire to honor the Lord in everything. Yeah, yeah. And that is a safeguard, isn't it? It is, it is. Than putting ourselves and puffing ourselves up. Yeah, and and, and I will add that that safeguard only works when you remember it. <laughs> Good point. You know, and and admittedly, I don't always remember it. Then I have to do a lot of backtracking inevitably later. Okay, so the first indicator that that Saul was off, he was claiming the the the, the credit for the victory that was actually God's. Verse thirteen of First Samuel fifteen. Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said to him, "Blessed are you of the Lord." I have carried out the command of the Lord. I mean, doesn't he sound like, hey, Samuel, good to see you. Here, I just did God's will. (laughs) That's what it sounded like. Well, the second indicator of overriding God's permission that Saul did here is Saul framed the victory as God's when Samuel showed up and his self-willed actions as those of obedience because he didn't do everything he was supposed to. But he's saying, hey, I, I generally did God's will everything's all peachy keen yeah because i generally did what i was supposed to there was a battle uh, we won the battle yeah details you know don't worry about the details but we won the battle it was god's will you know so it's taking pieces of reality and therefore being able to run ahead of god that's the problem what's our disconnect how can we do that what can we have to what do we have to watch out for well rick our success distorts our view of the process Now our compliance is only partial. It's so easy when we have success in something to get distorted in how we see things. Because when you have success, and and look, I'm not saying you shouldn't be successful in things, okay? But oftentimes success puffs us up, uh, especially in something big. And we have to be really careful that God is the subject of the glory. And he can lift us up and we can experience being lifted up, and we should be gracious about such things if that happens, but it ultimately is about our Father. It's ultimately about following after Jesus. Saul didn't do that. He framed the victory as though it was God's when he had just built a a monument to himself. So there's a contradiction. When we run ahead of God, when we run ahead of God's permission— these are the kinds of things that can start to happen. Verses 14 and 15 of 1 Samuel 15. But Samuel said, What then is the bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God, but the rest we have utterly destroyed. Ah. <laughs> this is this is where the story goes from bad to worse, okay? Because Samuel hears the sheep. He's not supposed to hear sheep. Everything was supposed to have been destroyed. He's saying, what is this? And Saul's reaction is, who did it? They did, they the people. Did. Okay, <laughs> so, so, so the third indicator of overriding God's permission, and again, trying to bring God's protection along with you because you're going your own way and you're figuring, well, I kind of did God's will, so he should be really with me. 
this third indicator of overriding God's permission is Saul recounted the experience with conviction. He's telling Samuel very clearly, look, they, the people, brought these, these sheep from the Amalekites. Um, and he's not, he's not looking at the disobedience as any big deal. He's saying, well, yeah, this is what the people did. And so he's kind of recounting the, the history of the event. Uh, and there's, there's great conviction there. But it's wrong. It wasn't the will of God. So he's, he ran ahead of God's permission. What do we have to watch out for? What's our disconnect? Well, Rick, succumbing to the base human reaction of needing to be right in what we do. And boy, do we have to fight that. Yeah, yeah. Needing to be right. Saul needed to be right. You know, and especially being a king. You know, when you're king, you're always supposed to be right. And even if you're wrong, you're right because you're the king. So, you know, you got this sense. But you, the, the problem with kings in Israel is that there was generally a prophet around. And, you know, when you're talking to the prophet and you think you're right, but the prophet says something different, you lose <laughs> because the yeah. prophet's the one connected to God. You got it. So our disconnect, sometimes we can run ahead of God's permission because we have that need to be right and we need to, to put ourselves in that position of, of rationalizing what's, what's going on. So let's, let's go back to uh, Mel Robbins one more time. The simple hack to, hack to make the best decisions. And she gives some good evidence here, good, a good suggestion of how to avoid this kind of thing happening. This is when the power of objectivity is really important. Pick somebody that you really admire. I mean, it could be somebody like a Bill Gates or a Richard Branson or an Oprah Winfrey, or maybe you have a mentor. And stop yourself and ask, what would Oprah do in this situation? What would Richard Branson do in this situation? What would your mentor do in this situation? Bringing that level of third-party objectivity will yank you out of your body and your emotions, and it will help you give yourself the perspective that you need and the distance from your emotions so that you can actually assess your options and make the best decision for you. So this idea of bringing a third party in, you know, a mentor or somebody who's an example. Now, Jonathan, we were talking about this before. And, That's right. And I was, what would Jesus do? Yeah. But Jesus is our Lord, and uh, we have a hard time relating. Yeah, we do. And, and you know, it's always, 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 always appropriate to say, what would Jesus do? And to, and to yes. look at his footsteps. But another really helpful thing is to look around us and look at, look at the, perhaps those that have gone before you and say, what would they have done? Or perhaps those who are around you that are good examples to you and say, what would this brother or sister do? Because we need that tangible example of imperfection fighting through. So it's really important when we are seeking God's permission, trying to figure out God's will, that it doesn't all happen inside of my own head only. And, and, and you know, Jonathan, this could be a really serious challenge because I can get to a point where I figure God is, you know, through Jesus is, is communicating with me and I've got it all worked out. And I can go down all kinds of roads inside my head, but if I don't check those roads, don't check that thinking against the thinking or the roads of others who are faithful, then I'm not doing myself any favors. And selfishness, you know, Rick, <laughs> we want what we want sometimes and, and we let our feelings make our decisions for us versus looking for God's will, 
his word and and finding these mentors, these examples that that really we look up to. Yeah, and you know, and it takes a, a measure of humility to ask somebody for help. Yes, and uh, you just have to be um, able to do that to go get through that. And, and and I'll come back around to that a little bit later, just with some personal examples of that myself. But let's get back to to Saul because Saul now is sounding all very positive and very strong about yeah, I did God's will, kind of. You know, I I mostly fulfilled what He said, and you know the people did this other thing, but you know I've got this under control. So. Saul, a Samuel now, the prophet, is really not happy. Verses 16 through 19 of First uh, Samuel 15. Then Samuel said to Saul, Wait, and let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. And he said to him, Speak. Samuel said, It is not true, though you were little in your own eyes, you were made the head of the tribes of Israel. The Lord anointed you king over Israel. And the Lord sent you on a mission and said, go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are exterminated. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord, but rushed upon the spoil and did what was evil in the sight of the Lord? So Samuel puts it all in perspective and says, you didn't fully follow the will of God. We both know it. So the fourth indicator of overriding God's permission is King Saul needed Samuel to plainly and forcefully point out his actions of disobedience. He needed somebody to say to him, uh-uh, look, you ran ahead of God. Now you want God's protect protection because you're saying, hey, I did the will of God, but you didn't fully do the will of God. You were told specifically what to do and you didn't follow through. What could be our disconnect in that area? Well, a failure to see where we have, over time, heeded our desires above God's will. And that's easy to fail on. Uh, it is. See, it is. see where our desires overrode the will of God. Because, you know, our desires can be pretty strong voices inside our heads. Yeah. Now, now what happens if Saul said, Samuel, thank you, you're right. I'm going to fix the issue right here and now. You're... I, I don't know why I didn't do it right the first I'm going to do this. Do you think God would have, uh, you know, yeah, I, said, I, hey, that's the heart I was looking for. Right, right. But see, God knew he wasn't there. God knew he was too full of himself. And that's why he told uh, Samuel that he had rejected Saul. And, but if he had been able to come back and say, I have sinned before God, then the whole thing could have been rewritten. You're right. Yeah. Exactly right. Again, running ahead of God and sort of dragging God's protection with you or seeking God's permission and then walking. Which way do we go through life? Verses 20 through 21 of First Samuel 15. Then Saul said to Samuel, I did obey the voice of the Lord and went on the mission on which the Lord sent me and have brought back Agai, the king of the Amalek, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took some of the spoil, sheep and oxen, the choice to, of the things devoted to destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord your God at Gilgal. So instead of saying, right, you're right, Samuel, I did wrong, he says, but I did obey the voice of God. He's justifying himself. Right. And he says, it's the people. It's the people that took it. Well, who's the king? <laughs> Who has final authority? That's right, Saul. So there is no excuse. And, you know, we're supposed to be following the will of God not dragging God along with us, 
but following his will. And when we run ahead, we really get into the King Saul area. So the, the area of, of, of danger, if you will. So this fifth indicator of overriding God's permission is Saul rationalizes away the ungodly results of his disobedience as circumstantial. What was the people? What was I, what was I supposed to do? Uh, excuses, excuses. Yeah, yeah. And you know what? As a Christian, that just shouldn't work in our lives anymore. What's our potential disconnect here? Effortlessly placing of blame on other things we when we have the power to override them. Effortlessly placing the blame on other things when we actually can say, no, that does not work as an excuse here. Verses 22 and 23 of 1 Samuel 15. Samuel said, has the Lord as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed than the fat of rams, for rebellion is as the sin of divination, and insubordination is iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. That's a powerful statement from Samuel. Okay, does the Lord have as much delight in these burnt offerings and sacrifices as he does in your obedience? The answer, Saul, is no. You're supposed to obey him first and foremost, and that is what is supposed to drive you, not this foolish idea of yours that, oh yeah, we didn't do it quite right, but you know, it's okay. It's okay. God will still be with us. See, Jonathan, it's dragging God's protection along when we've decided to do what we want to do. In our Christianity, that can happen really easily. The sixth indicator of running ahead of God's will, Saul was stripped of the honor of his standing before God based upon the simple principle to obey God is always better than to sacrifice to him. Obedience is the key. Saul had gotten too big for himself and figured he could obey God in a convenient way, rather obey God in a complete way. What's our potential disconnect? We can easily lose God's protection if we stubbornly adhere to living outside of his permission. Obedience is always better than sacrifice. Folks, we got to be really careful. We can lose God's protection if we continue to run ahead of him again and again. And think literally about the sacrifices that Saul was going to offer to God, the ones he told him to destroy. Yep. What an offense. Right. That that, that's, that's low. But, you know, it, he's, he's, got, he's all smiles about it. Like, yeah, but this is what we're going to do. God's going to love this. I know it. How do you know? You didn't obey. So it's a huge lesson for us. What's the power of permission principle here? Claiming God's protection when we step outside of his permission is often a result of growing focus on my thoughts and diminishing focus on godly principles. See, here's the problem. If we're going to follow God's will, we have to be continually following his ways, not my ways and my interpretations of what, what ways of his seem to fit best in my life. That's not the road. That's not the way that we want to go. You know, it's kind of scary to see how easy it is to get caught up in our own madness and tell God what to do. How do we counterbalance this dramatic example of abandoning God's permission with something good. 
Before we turn the page, we wanted to tell you about CQ Rewind. It's a free weekly service provided by our great team of contributors who help the guys prepare for each episode. It's an in-depth look at their research, scripture, and much more, showing you the map of Rick and Jonathan's content journey. Now let's continue finding out the better answers as we ask the better questions. The Bible is, an ama- is amazing in how it always seems to show us what's wrong and then compares it to that which is right in the eyes of God. Not surprisingly, the opposite of Saul's arrogance and disobedience can easily be seen in the responses of David to Saul, as David would replace him as king. So you have Saul being cast off at this point, and David is going to be coming on the scene in a big way um, later on, a little bit later on in Saul's life. But uh, what happens, Jonathan, Saul gets kind of crazy. Oh, he does. He kind of loses his objectivity to to reality, and he begins to see David as his enemy. And now, a threat right. to his kingship. Right. And so he now is in pursuit of David, and he wants to kill him. Now, David has not done one thing, not one thing, to offend the king, except be, except exist. And the king is is gone nuts. So, well, remember it was all the battles that uh, David won. Yes, and the people were just cheering David on well above Saul because they could see how God has blessed David uh, in his leadership. Yeah, you know, da- uh, Saul has killed his thousands, and David his tens of thousands. You know, it's it's is David jealousy. Is- yes, yes, yes. <laughs> and see things like that mess up our ability to f- to follow in the permission of God. And we're going to open that up very, very, very soon. So let's take a look at David's reactions to being pursued mercilessly by King Saul. 1 Samuel 24. So this is several chapters later, verses 1 through 11, and we'll take this in pieces. Now when Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told, saying, Behold, David is in the wilderness of Enjedi. Then Saul went there with 3,000 chosen men from Israel and went to seek David and his men in front of the rocks of the wild goats. He came to the sheepfold on the way where there was a cave, and Saul went to relieve himself. Now David and his men were sitting in the inner recesses of the cave. The men of David said to him, Behold, this is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I am about to give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it seems good to you. Okay, so this is a little bit of an embarrassing situation, but (laughs) David and his men are hiding deep inside this cave. Saul goes into the cave because he has to go to the bathroom. Okay, that's what's happening here. And David and his men are in there, and Saul is in there by himself, okay, taking care of business. And, And David's men are saying to him, Look at this. Look at this. God has brought your enemy to a place where you can be rid of him quickly, quietly, and it'll be over. And you look at it and say, wow, that is really an open door, isn't it? Is that God's will? So here's the first, and that's the question. Here's the first indicator of thoroughly adhering to God's permission. Now, remember, the indicators from the previous segment were not about adhering to God's permission. They were about overriding God's permission. So adhering to God's permission, David sees this clear and obvious evidence of God's providence. 
it's revealed. David has a golden opportunity to act in a justifiable and self-preserving way. The man is trying to kill him. David can easily wipe out his enemy just like that. And God already anointed David to be the next king. Yes. So it seems like it's, it's fitting well together here. It seems like God put Saul right in front of him so he could be rid of him. What would our godly connection to this clear and obvious evidence of God's providence being revealed be? Listen carefully to the clear and obvious evidence and then consider carefully. And what we're going to see is David is going to do exactly that. Okay, his men have said, look, you know, do to him what he wants to do to you. It's just, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a simple thing. So we're going to get back to the story in a minute, but let's, let's take a look at our Christianity now because we want to focus more on the positivity of following God's permission and therefore having his protection rather than trying to drag his protection with us as we run ahead of his permission. Pursuing God's permission, we've got these several building blocks from Romans chapter 12. Romans 12, verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. You know, we're all very familiar with that verse. Our lives and therefore our wills do not belong to us. We have to acknowledge our higher allegiance. And what we're going to see is David did exactly that in his decision-making. He had this golden opportunity that was set right in front of him. And it's like, why you got to jump on the opportunity? Well, does he? Before we get to that, let's go to a different soundbite. This is John Jorgensen. How do I know if God, if it's God's voice or my thoughts? And this is a really big part of the question. How do I know if what's inside my head is God's voice or my own thoughts? Welcome to another episode of Coffee Time. So here's a question that I get all of the time. How do I know if I'm hearing God's voice or just my own thoughts? So I wanted to tackle it today. First things first to answer this question. You can't. You just can't. There is no way outside of God himself coming down to earth and looking you in the eyes. There is no way to know 100% for sure if it is God speaking to you. However, there are different places or different resources that we can go to to receive guidance. And the first one, very obviously, is God's Word. So, you know, he he says, well, you can't know. And, And, you know, I don't know if I would go that, that far, but the point really is simple. The point is, too often in the lives of too many Christians, the voice in our head we interpret as, this is God speaking to me, God showing me this, that, or the other thing. And it is not, because it is not in accordance with his written word. It's not in accordance with his will in terms of what Christianity is. And and Jonathan, just just to touch on it, we'll we'll come back around to this, but I think the prosperity gospel ends up being a, 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 a sad example of misapplication here. You know, the idea that God wants you to be happy. Yes, he does. But happiness, uh, you know, I, 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 should, I should backtrack on that. No, God doesn't want you to be happy. He wants you to have joy in the Lord, joy in Jesus. He wants you to have contentment in following his will through our, our difficulties. It's not that he wants you to have stuff. He wants the things in your life to have an effect on you spiritually for maturity. 
There's a big difference there. It's a big, big difference. So the idea that, well, the thought came into my head and I don't know where the thought came from. It must be from God. Ha! You know, reject. <laughs> really, you got to be really careful with that kind of thing. We do. We, we do. really, really have to be careful. So David is in this cave. Saul is relieving himself and he is a sitting duck, okay, for, for to, to be slain and nobody knows anything. Okay, what does David do? We're continuing with verse 4 of 1 Samuel 24. Then David arose and cut off the edge of Saul's robe secretly. It came about afterward that David's conscience bothered him because he had cut off the edge of Saul's robe. Now, David didn't even hurt the guy, but his conscience bothered him. I think that's a really cool part of this scripture. He's so sensitive. And that's the point. He wants to follow the permission of God and not run ahead and then just try to drag God's protection with him. So the second indicator of thoroughly adhering to God's permission is this. David responds cautiously and allowed his godly conscience to temper that which was obvious with that which was noble. Just wow, that noble. That's that's huge, Rick. Just because something is obvious doesn't mean it's right. And that is a huge lesson from this. We have to be careful. He had a golden opportunity that came to him. It literally came to him and sat in front of him, okay? And yet he saw it differently. What what's our godly connection to this? Well, Rick, rash action does not reflect heeding God's permission. Thoughtful consideration based on our spiritual mind gives us an open door to godly wisdom. Okay, rash action is not a reflection of God's permission. Just because something comes up doesn't mean that you just you just go. It means... And feelings, Rick, yes. feelings. Yeah. We have these feelings and we, we act on them and Many times, most times, we went down the wrong road. Yeah, yeah, no, you're right, you're right. So we have to be careful. We have to be careful because things come up and it seems obvious and you want to go, but it may not be right. Just because it's been put in front of you doesn't mean it's God saying, hey, there it is, do that. Let's go back to Romans 12, too, with the pursuing God's permission with these building blocks. The first is knowing our highest allegiance, Romans 12, 2. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So the point here is to daily strive to continue to spiritually transform. You know, in in our spiritual lives, the happiness factor is in the transforming into the image of Christ. That's the happiness God wants us to have. You know, in the kingdom, Jonathan, the, where, where the world is, is resurrected and all is, is going to be good on this green earth, it's going to be different than for Christians now. It's a different world. It's a different objective. Ours is that of sacrifice. Being able to follow God's permission and therefore have his protection rather than walk along and saying, oh, I want this, this, and this. I'm sure God will protect me in it, because these are good things. Rick, isn't this story of David really a test of where his heart is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, doesn't the Lord do that 
for us. Yes. Yeah. And, 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 and as a matter of fact, the next part of the story really drills that point home because David has the opportunity. He cuts part of Saul's robe off and now he's decided what he's going to do. Verses six and seven of, uh, where are we? First Samuel 24. So he said to his men, far be it from me because of the Lord that I should do this thing to my Lord. The Lord's anointed to stretch out my hand against him since he is the Lord's anointed. David persuaded his men with these words and did not allow them to rise up against Saul. And Saul arose, left the cave, and went on his way. So David says to to his men, I will not raise my hand against the one that was anointed by God. Won't do it. That is a character that is high and noble and godly. What a wonderful conscience. And, you know, that's the idea of getting God's permission. Just because the opportunity was there and blatant didn't mean he had to take it. So this third indicator of thoroughly adhering to God's permission in David's case was David was convinced by his allegiance to God to stand down in the face of this golden opportunity and authoritatively he convinced his men to do the same. He said, we are not touching the Lord's anointed. I'm not, and therefore you're not, back off. That's a powerful, powerful acquiescence to something bigger than we are. What would be our godly connection to that? Well, Rick, stand firm in the courage of our highest spiritual convictions, even at the expense of convenience or opportunity. And that's hard. That is hard. Even if it's at the expense of convenience and opportunity, we're supposed to stand up for these things? And the answer is yes. If you're following, if you're seeking God's permission rather than just his protection, that's what the cost is. Back to Romans 12, 3, pursuing God's permission, another building block. You know, we had those, the first two building blocks where our lives, therefore, and our wills are not our own. We have to acknowledge our highest allegiance and then daily strive to continue spiritually, to be spiritually transformed, Romans 12, 3. For though the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. So this is a little math uh, equation. Transforming your mind plus humility equals sound godly judgment. That's what we need. You want to follow God's will, or do you want to run ahead and try to bring God along with you as you think you're deciding sort of maybe God's will, but you know, you really are, are kind of taking care of what you want. And again, and, and I'm going to probably just keep coming back to this. The prosperity gospel is all about making me happy, giving me abundance. But the problem with that, Jonathan, is I'm the one who's deciding and it's not God. Mm, that's true. And we can't go down that road. No, no. David had a golden opportunity to relieve himself of huge trial and tribulation, of a threat, a continuous threat upon his life, and he didn't do it. And here's what happens afterwards. Verses 8, and these are selected verses, verses 8 through 11. Now afterward, David arose and went out of the cave and called after Saul, saying, My lord, the king. And when Saul looked behind him, David bowed his face to the ground and prostrated himself. David said to Saul, Behold, this day your eyes have seen that the Lord hath given you 
today into my hand in the cave. And some said to kill you, but my eye had pity on you. And I said, I will not stretch out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. Now, my father, see, indeed, see the edge of your robe in my hand, for that I cut off the edge of your robe and did not kill you. Know and perceive that there is no evil or rebellion in my hands. So David boldly tells the king, I could have killed you. Here's the proof. Think about this, Rick. Saul had 3,000 of the best soldiers he could find. And here's David and his small group. And David walks out of the cave and says, hey, Saul, King Saul. Hey, I want to tell you something. Yeah, and he says That's bold. Yes, and he's and he boldly says, I spared your life because you are the Lord's anointed. Please that, do you think that humbled Saul, King Saul? I think it did. At that moment it did. And and Saul, you know, he had these moments of clarity where he'd see things and he'd say, Man, what a mess I've made. And then later on he'd go back to trying to kill David again. And at that moment it did humble Saul. It really did for the moment. But that was it. So the fourth indicator of of adhering to God's will is David stood in the results of his loyalty to God and used them to witness to God's providence. So he took the golden opportunity and he said, this was a golden opportunity to show my willingness to wait on the Lord and not to run ahead of him. Where oftentimes the golden opportunity looks like the just, oh, look, just go do this. This is what God wants you to do. You know, we need to remember that scripture, vengeance is mine, I will repay, declares the Lord. It's not for us to put judgment uh, and accusation towards others. God will take care of it. Absolutely, absolutely. So what's our, our godly connection here? We too must stand with conviction in God's permission, even when the results would still keep us in a disadvantaged position. And again, that's hard to do. That but is if, hard. If we want to seek God's will and God's way, God's permission, we have to be willing to go down the road that is difficult, that is disadvantaged. And you say, well, why would God want you to be disadvantaged? Because that's where you learn best. You know, really, that's what it, what it really boils down to. You and he's learn. testing our heart. He is. He's testing us. Back <laughs> excuse me. Uh, back to Romans chapter 12, verses 4 and 5 for the last building block. Uh, in certain pursuing God's permission here for us. For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. So remembering that I play but a small role along with others helps to keep the focus on God's providence and not my preference. This is about, this conversation is thoroughly, completely, and solely about how do we stay within God's permission and not run ahead of it and just try to drag his protection with us. And the points here are that we are not so big and so smart, okay? We are little tiny, 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 tiny pieces of God's plan. And if we think that we're so big and so bold as to say, oh, I'm sure God would want this for me, the answer is, who do you think you are? What do you think you're doing? Oftentimes, Jonathan, we need others to help us with that. We started talking about that. We're going to come back to that in the next segment because that's a really important part of this. Have to get down to the nitty-gritty of, okay, how do you do this? So our, our final piece for this segment, the power of permission, the principle here is what? 
Remember the insignificance of your personal role in relation to the massiveness of God's plan. Always following his permission is the only sensible way. You and I, let's face it, are just insignificant. That's true. And in relation to God's will and God's way and God's plan, we're tiny. So let's make sure we take that tiny privilege and make the most of it by following his way, not our own way. David really set the bar high. Respect who God has put in place, even if they no longer respect God themselves. How do I talk myself out of personal preferences that override God's permission and lead me to need his protection? Did you know about all the video content we have? Go beyond the audio podcast with all our on-demand videos at christianquestions.com slash YouTube. Discover our Moments That Matter series, the exclusive CQ Kids releases, and much more. See new videos every week. Subscribe, share, like, and give us your comments at christianquestions.com slash YouTube. Now I'll throw the mic back to Rick and Jonathan. Sometimes we face decisions that should have the objective of doing the unadulterated will of God, when in fact we can easily make them uh, those decisions with the object of our personal comfort in mind. How do we fight the complacency of our human desires to always walk in the permission of God? And Jonathan, this is the biggest question of the day. How do we fight the complacency of our human desires to always walk in the permission of God. See, we need to put our emotions, our thinking, our reactions, and therefore our lives in order. So before we get into the scriptures on that, Jonathan, how do you do it? For In your life, in your personal experience, how do you fight the personal complacency of your own human desires to try to walk in the permission of God? Well, it's interesting, Rick. We talked earlier before the podcast, and I remember that I always looked to see God's will in him showing me three different uh, confirm, go this direction, uh, looking for three answers to know that it wasn't my preference or my idea or my way. Uh, But over time, that has changed, and I've learned to see his will and how it's worked over time. I think it's maybe maturity over time so that um, I have a, a better handle on it. So, you know, in, in, in you know, we were talking earlier about your, your example of where you are now and some of the experiences. And, you know, you've, you've, you've shared with our audience many times about having your, your dad and your mom living with you. And that's a hard thing. Oh, oh, it is. You're right. And I, I was at a Bible conference and um, I was sharing this experience of what my parents were going through. And they looked at me and they could see it so clearly. Your parents need a hero. They need you to go rescue them and bring them out of their situation. Now, now, when you I'm heard, like, whoa. Okay, so <laughs> when you heard that. that over the head. <laughs> yeah, but was that the answer that you wanted to hear? <laughs> no, it wasn't. But. It was the right thing to do. So you kind of, kind of. I I said, ah, I th- uh, thank you because I think this I need to do this. And then it's interesting, Rick. After that, other people said, "You're going to do what? Oh my, you you shouldn't do that. You know what? That's oh, it, it's going to be too hard. Your dad has Alzheimer's. 
this that's that's oh it's going to take your time away from serving the lord um, but i'm like i'm listening to all these different perspectives saying but my conscience says i have to uh, they have no other option so so this is interesting and i and i love this 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 real life example because first of all it wasn't necessarily in your mind until somebody placed it there Exactly. But once it was placed there, even though it wasn't comfortable or convenient, no, there was clarity. There was. There really was, Rick. And you were given opportunities to sort of back away, but you saw the clarity, and even though there was no comfort, you did it anyway. That's right. It would have been easier not to. Yes. Yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> but the conscience said, you must do this. So... And I think that's a huge example of what we're trying to discuss here. Thank you for being willing to to go through that uh, with us because it's such a powerful thing that says if we are if our conscience is tuned to godliness, even when other opportunities come up, we're going to we're going to really try to do the highest thing, not the most convenient thing. So let's go through emotions, okay? We've got to put our emotions in order. And in order for our emotions to be in order, perhaps we need to really work on knowing the consequences and privileges of what we choose to follow. This is kind of revealed for us in Romans chapter 8, verses 13 to 15. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. Okay, so this is interesting. You live according to the flesh, you die. You live according to the, to, to the spirit, you live. To receive God's spirit is to become an adopted son of God. But to receive God's spirit is also to be listening to what your father says. That's right. So that is a hard thing. You know, if you have a good dad, everything he says doesn't make you happy. That's true. <laughs> it's it's to learn the lessons of life that will make you strong and mature right. and, and a good contributor to the world. Right. It doesn't make you happy, but it makes you better. It makes you yes. stronger. It makes you capable. Mm -hmm. So following the permission of God, therefore is to help make us capable now and later. So for our emotions, we need to understand the consequences and privileges. The consequence of following fleshly thinking is spiritual life is not going to go well. The consequence or the privilege of following spiritual thinking is blessing, even if it's hard, even if it's difficult. Okay, let's go back to John Jorgensen. Remember now he said in the, in the, in the first soundbite, you know, you can't ever tell. Well, you can, you know, tell in terms of the voice inside your head, but it is hard. And it's really hard because we're so attuned to what we want. And we have to be careful to not run ahead of God's permission. So let's go back to him again. Uh, and he's talking about something I think that's really important that we want to expand on. Obviously, the Bible doesn't speak to absolutely everything that we're ever going to deal with in our lives, but it is an incredible source of wisdom and a great place to start. And the second place we can check is with wise mentors, counselors, or pastors. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 22 says, Plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors, 
they succeed. I'm willing to guess that there are a few people in your life who have been following Jesus longer than you have, who have perhaps a little more experience and a little bit more wisdom when it comes to discerning God's voice. And so I would encourage anyone to go to those people and say to them, hey, this is what I think God is saying to me. This is where I feel God is leading me. Does that sound right to you? Does that sound like it aligns with his word and with his heart? Will you pray with me and help me discern this. So, uh, you know, I think it's really important. He, he brings up an important point about these mentors and somebody to actually talk to. And you know, Jonathan, I can tell you, I have mentors. Uh, there, there are there are a couple of, of, of brothers in Christ when, when I feel like I need perspective, I'll call them and say, hey, look, you know, um, and, you know, oftentimes the experiences of life, you know, you can't explain everything to them because it involves other people, but you give them the, the, the concept and you say, this is what I'm thinking and this is what I've been doing. Give, just give me your, your, your perspective. And, you know, it is a wonderful thing to have a spiritual dad in some ways for me. You know, I'm an old guy. I'm already a grandfather four times over, but yet I need that mentor sometimes to help me stay stable. Uh, you know, in a lot of my own experiences dealing with lots of other individuals, I also, I talk with my wife, I talk with Trish, because by venting to her the issues of life, it creates stability because she can see it, she understands me, and she can, can see it and give me a sense of clarity just by repeating back a few things, making an observation here or there, and just gives me more strength. We need others. A lot of wisdom. A lot yeah, of wisdom yeah. in that, Rick. We really do need others. So our emotions need to be kept in check. Our thinking, if we're going to follow God's will and not run ahead of it, our thinking needs to be kept in check. Knowing God's word, and uh, or I'm sorry, know God's word and walk away from the empty chatter of the world around you. And believe me, it's chatter, and believe me, it's empty. <laughs> okay, <laughs> 2 Timothy 2, 15 to 16. Be diligent to present yourselves approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth, but avoid worldly and empty chatter, for it will lead to further ungodliness. Worldly and empty chatter leads to ungodliness. The more you know and apply God's word wisely, the more easily you'll discern his providence. And Jonathan, there's a huge connection between knowing the word of God and being able to discern his providence. Mm -hmm. A huge connection because God's will more often than not comes to us through the written word of God rather than the thoughts in your head. Good point. Because the thoughts in your head can get easily skewed. Okay, so our thinking needs to be guided by Scripture. What about our reactions? What do we need to do with our reactions? Well, Rick, we need to realize the wisdom of the brotherhood being a sounding board and being involved. And we've already started talking about that. Proverbs 15, 21 to 23 are good verses on that. Folly is joy to him who lacks sense, but a man of understanding walks straight. Without consultation, plans are frustrated, but with many counselors, they succeed. A man has joy in an apt answer, and how delightful is a timely word. How delightful is a timely word. And, you know, in your experience, you got that timely word, and it cost you dearly, but how delightful that is. 
Yes, yes. I I have the privilege of honoring my mother and father. I love it. Exactly, exactly, exactly. Hebrews 10, 24 to 25. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. See, as the body of Christ, we are, we're supposed to be, passionately responsible for each other. And see, in this responsibility is where providence can flourish. Because folks, here's the bottom line. Following the will of God, because it's not just me, because I'm part of the body of Christ, means that if I'm walking along with others and we're sharing the experiences, I'll be able to see God's providence so much better. Because two heads are always better than one. Nice. So we really do need to look at and look around us and say, wow, you know, in, in terms of our reactions, we've got to be responding through the gift of others being involved in our lives as we try to follow God's permission. So all of these things, the emotions, the thinking, the reactions are to get our lives in order. And to do that, what's, we're, what are we looking for? Well, we need to apply the peace of God liberally and daily to our experiences to hold anxiety at bay. Everybody has anxiety to some degree or another. And the peace of God is what can help put that in order. But it's not just like, okay, I've got the peace of God, everything's fine. There's much more to it. Philippians 4, verses 4 through 7. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So, you know, it says be anxious for nothing. Boy, that's easy to say, and almost (laughs) in some cases it's impossible, (laughs) or it feels like it's impossible to do. But it also says, you know, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And if we are doing that, if we are free in, in, in being vulnerable before God, we can be free in the receiving of his peace in exchange for our vulnerability. The only way we get God's peace is if we give him our vulnerability. That's the only way it comes to us. Rejoicing, having a gentle spirit, a prayer-filled existence, all lend toward following God's permission. And that's really the key that we're talking. So what's what's the conclusion here, Jonathan? Well, Rick, know that God's providence is always for your highest and eternal good. It's there so you can be the best you in God's eyes. And see, that's the key. Do I want to be the best me in my eyes or in God's eyes? Take your time now. You know <laughs> And for this, we have Romans 8, 28. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who God loves, for those who are called according to his purpose. You know, all things work together for good, but it doesn't mean that God designs everything and then everything that happens to us is by God's design. It's by God's, by God's permission. But sometimes, Jonathan, we, when we walk ahead of God, he'll still work that out for our good. And we could have probably gotten there a lot quicker if we would have waited. But he can overrule that for us if we continue to look for him first. What's our power of permission principle for this segment? 
To live in God's providence is to submit to it on every level. It's pretty simple. It's everywhere. It's every part of all of your life because following his permission is the only way, the only way, the only way to spiritual growth. It's all there is to it. You know, it's so easy to undermine God's permission. And when we do, we really don't even have his protection either. Sometimes we get impatient while waiting for something to happen. What should we do then? We're uncovering the truth scripture by scripture while gathering information from across today's media landscape with our vast CQ team of contributors. We want to hear from you, our listeners, for more contribution to our conversations. Talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com or message us through the Christian Questions app and our producers may read your comments over the air. Let's continue working through our topic with all our tools. We're reviewing the evidence. Now let's put it together. By now it's obvious that the battle for God's providence to rule in our lives is long and arduous. The temptation to try and drag God's protection along with us as we make our own decisions is great and unfortunately does not go away easily. So let's face it, this is the battle for our spiritual lives. I mean, this is what we're talking about. Am I going to follow God's providence and his overruling and his permission, or am I going to decide to walk through life and say, this is a good thing, I'll just do it because it's a good thing, and I'm sure God would, would, would want this for me. Sounds like King Saul. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, and we have to be really careful because as a Christian, we can't be going down the, the uh, going, God's providence, God's will for us is not a buffet. I don't like that. I don't like that. Ooh, this is my favorite. I don't like that. I'll have some of this though. Let me try this this time. God's providence is not a buffet. God's providence is a serious set of guidelines for us. We need to be willing to follow them. So, okay, how do we get there? There's, there's two aspects that we want to get into here in this, in this segment. Luke 21, 19. In your patience, possess ye your souls. So, Rick, it takes a lot of patience. Yes, it does. It does. Patience is really important here. And while patience is such an asset, we also have to remember that decisiveness is really important as well. And let's go to 1 Kings 18.21 for that. And Elijah came unto all the people and said, How long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord God, um, if the Lord God be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people answered him, Not a word. So Elijah, remember, he set up you know, to, to put the prophets of Baal in their place. But the people are all there, and he's saying, How long... Are you going to sit there and not commit yourself? If God is God, follow him. If Baal is God, go ahead, follow him. Make a choice. So you've got patience on one side that says, take your time. And then we've got Elijah's example on the other side that says, make a choice. Be decisive. Yes. So what do you do? How do we balance these two seemingly opposite processes? And, and Jonathan, as we go through the next scripture, I just want to Trish just brought a note and in, in, in put it in front of me that's important. We did a podcast uh, a couple of years ago on the, the, the circle of God's will. You know, God's will is not a pinpoint in our lives. I think he gives us an, uh, a wide variety of things to do that would be blessed. 
And we want to stay within that circle. When we start to make uh, decisions that we think are God's will that are near the edge of the circle or outside the circle, we end up bringing ourselves trouble. But there's a lot of leadway in God's will. It's not like, well, if you don't do exactly this, then you're not doing my will. It's, look, there are these things, these range of things that are my will for you that, that are, are going to be best for you. So we want to have that in mind as well as we go through this. But now, how do we figure out the patience versus decisiveness? And I think it's actually easier than it might seem. Next scripture is going to show the two sides of the issue. First is going to be the selfish and hurried approach. James three thirteen to 18. Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior his deeds in gentleness of wisdom. But if you are bitter jealous and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. Okay. So when I look at this scripture in the context that we're talking about, we said, okay, this is the selfish, hurried approach. Because James is talking about bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart. And I would submit to you that oftentimes when we are talking about doing the will of God, we are really saying, I've got an ambition, I've got a desire in my heart that I would like to do, and I'm sure it's God's will. So I want to do this, and I'm sure God will bless it as I go. And that tends to push things harder and faster than perhaps they should go. Oftentimes, impatience is a cover for bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, because what I want and what I seek to soothe me is usually my first choice. So we have to be careful with when we have decisions to make, what, what the decision, what, what my preference is in the decision. So, Jonathan, I'm sure you've had experiences in your life where your preference has not been the direction you had to go. That's right. And I'm sure you've also had decisions where your preference was what you saw as God's providence. That's right. So and sometimes I made the mistakes and went with my preferences, and the Lord taught me valuable lessons for, for going outside of his will. So the point is, sometimes we just need to pause and consider, especially when emotions and preference is high. Yes. And we know those times. We do know. We don't necessarily want to admit it, but we do know about them when that's high. So we need to compare that with the wise and patient approach rather than jumping all over it in a decisiveness that just soothes me. Let's look at the next few verses, James 3, verses 17 and 18. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Doesn't that just sound relaxing when you hear those it words? It does. <laughs> it sounds like it's taking its time when you read a verse like that. You know, it sounds like there's just there's enough time to develop something that's important. So, you know, there's the hurried thing that's filled with selfish ambition or the take-your-time approach. So the question we have to ask ourselves is, do I hurry through decisions and therefore rely on 
like you were saying, how I feel about the situation to conclude it, or do I pause and consider wisdom from above to see how I can serve God with the situation? And, you know, uh, in, in a lot of areas of life, uh, you're right, we sometimes can make mistakes and yeah. um, <clears throat> we have to, you know, do some backtracking. You know, when when I was a lot younger, a lot younger, you know, made some, some business choices to get into a position to be able to serve God more fully. And at the beginning, I look back on that and I rushed into that decision. I really did. I wasn't ready for it. And I had a lot of hard lessons to learn by that for a long time. But then afterwards, after settling in, God, I think, blessed that decision and, and, and gave me an opportunity to do the things that were really sort of in my mind way back, but that I rushed into. But it took a long time to grow into what he really wanted for me. Patience in our decisiveness. I think that's kind of what we want to get to. This last sound by Jonathan is very moving. Uh, Trust God first, your whole life will change. This is from Lion of Judah. This is an experience a pastor has with a, 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 a young couple in his congregation. And, well, we'll let him tell you the story. A couple in our church came to see me. She is probably in her late 30s. He is the same age. She has been diagnosed with stage four cancer. She's by now lost all of her hair through the treatments. They have two small children. Here sat her husband. Here sat this lovely woman, his wife. As they spoke to me in the most encouraging manner. I'm in tears. They're smiling. What an interesting reversal of roles. I'm the guy that's supposed to have the answers. And they sit here and they minister to me as I've rarely been ministered to, talking about what God is teaching them in the midst of the loss. You know, and that's such an inspiration. And you and I have both known many individuals who were just like that. Absolutely. And you see watching God's permission unfold in their lives because they just want to do the will of God. Even though it's painful, even though it's costly, they just want to do the will of God. And that's what being a Christian is all about. So a beautiful, beautiful story mm-hmm. of acquiescing to the will of God. Didn't Jesus learn um, through his... Um, experience yeah. to the sufferings. He learned obedience to the things that he suffered. Absolutely. Positively. Scripturally, that's correct. So let's finally come back to the scripture text that we began with way back in the first segment, James four thirteen through 17. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while, then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. 
Therefore, to one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. So this adds a dimension about, it gives the comparison between running ahead of God and hoping his protection follows you versus waiting and saying, if the Lord wills, we'll do this or that. But then it says, to the one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is a sin. So if we know that we should be patiently waiting for God's providence and we run ahead, that's sinful. It is. And we can say, well, yeah, I know, but I felt like that. And, you know, and the opportunity was there. You Well, don't forget, David had an opportunity too. And you know what? In the bonus material, David had another opportunity to kill King Saul. Another time, in another circumstance, and David's, uh, one of his chief uh, soldiers said to David, he says, look, let me take that spear. I can finish him. One stroke, it'll be done. And David says, I will not lift my hand against the Lord's anointed. So he was given several opportunities, and several times he said, that is not the will of God. I will not run ahead of that will of God. I will stay within his permission and wait. God will take his life soon enough, and when God does, I'll be ready. Because David, you're right, was was anointed to be the king. Couldn't be the king until Saul was off the scene. God did it. David didn't have to. It's a great example. Now, later in David's life, he made a lot of mistakes too. Oh, he did. Yep. But it doesn't mean that he, 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 he lost his heart for God. Final scripture, Psalm twenty-seven, fourteen. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Waiting is one of the hard things in life, especially in the world in which we live. It's hard to stop. It's hard to sit still. It's hard to wait because everything is so incredibly instant right here, right now. So a Christian's life, though, is not typical. And the abundance that a Christian is given is not the abundance of the world, It's abundance of spirituality, of wisdom, of maturity, of fellowship, of scriptural understanding. That's where our abundance is. We have to wait and work for those things. See, waiting, Jonathan, doesn't mean just sit and twiddle your thumbs. No, it doesn't. Waiting means you you, you engage in appropriate activity, and then God's will is, is, is laid out for you. Our final power of permission principle for today. The final conclusion of the matter is this. When I choose to try and drag God's protection along with me, I have become the God in the relationship. This is nothing less than idolatry. If I wait for God's permission, I reap spiritual maturity and can then sow blessings to all. So if I am going to try to drag God's protection along with me, Folks, if that's you and your experience, just remember, you've become the God in the relationship with the Almighty Father, and that doesn't fit so well, okay? Satan tried it. Look at how it worked out for him, okay? So we don't want to be idolatrous in our following the will of God. We need to be clear, and by being clear, we need to learn to wait for God's permission to unfold in our lives. So folks, really... This is about putting our lives in perspective. It's about stepping back and being decisive only when 
we can see the will of God unfolding before us. Only when we have scriptural principles in those difficult decisions. And perhaps only when we have talked to others who we look up to spiritually who can help to guide us. And look, just because you talk to somebody and they give you advice doesn't necessarily mean it's right. But it's another perspective to weigh against your highest spiritual conscience so that we can do what the will of God is. Don't try to drag God's protection along. Seek his permission and you get his protection. For Jonathan and Rick and Christian Questions, we hope you've enjoyed being with us today. It's so important to make sure that God's permission comes first. Think about it. Folks, listen. We really do want to hear from you. Give us your feedback or send us your questions on this episode and other episodes at ChristianQuestions.com. Also, a big part of spreading the word about our program is subscribing to Christian Questions in iTunes, in Google Play, in Stitcher, whatever your favorite podcast channel is. Please rate us and review us. We greatly appreciate it. And coming up next week, the question is, do Christians need hope in their lives? Talk to you next week.